Aren't you glad that he can reign on high in the holy place? And Isaiah says he's, he's in the holy place, but he's also with the brokenhearted and those, who, those that need him. That's Tom's paraphrase. So, but he is, and he's good. He's always good. I like that. So, are you ready for service? Yes. Me too. I was ready yesterday. Okay. <laughs> I, yesterday afternoon, I thought, okay, let's get this going. Let's get this going. I'm ready. I, I get excited when uh, the opportunity comes. You guys that have been around for a few years know that hasn't always been the case. But I get excited because, you know, I know it's going to be good. You know how I know that? Well, God is good, but you're here. A lot of you worked today and made an effort to be here, and that's how good he is. He's not going to waste your time tonight. So he has something for you. So stay hooked. Um, I, I, I'm going to stay focused, praise God, because I can get really sidelined. You know, when you really get into something and you're really studying it, there's a thousand different trails that you can go down that are all good. All of them are good. There's what this word means as a whole thing in and of itself. And so, but I'll try not to get hung up there and keep you very long. But I do want to share with you what the Lord has for us. So I'm going to just pray real quick. Father, I do thank you for your word. I thank you for the opportunity to come tonight, Father, that we've gathered here together today as a family here in Sarasota and in Branson and all those that join us online, Father. In your love, we come together tonight. And so I ask you to help me. I can do nothing without your help. And I just know that you're with me. I know that you're helping me. I know that you've given me some insight for tonight that I believe will help us, Father. So I ask you to help us be receptive. I ask you to make the word clear, that you uh, help us to hear what we need to hear, Father, that we get answers tonight, all of us, to the good things, Father, that are through, through the good things that are coming out tonight. And we give you all the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to start with a couple scriptures because I always think that's a good place to start. Don't you? Now, y'all can't get quiet because we are still socially distanced and we'll get up and do jumping jacks or something if I need to wake you up. It's only 8.03. So you can get, you can be lively. I'm like Mrs. Moore. I need a little interaction here. Now, don't say anything bad. But be encouragers, right? We're supposed to encourage one another in the word. I'm just teasing. Y'all don't, y'all are so great, but, but don't get quiet. All right, let's start with Colossians uh, chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. We're going to read through it. NIV, sorry. I'm going to try really hard to remember to do that tonight. The Lord will help me. NIV. All right, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and get, forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish, admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, you probably recognize some of those virtues, we're calling them, that were listed there that also come from Galatians chapter 5. Also in IV, uh, verses 22 and 23, we could probably quote this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, there's a lot of big words that we just went through really fast there, and we could spend time on any one of those. From Colossians, we could spend time on uh, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, peace, thanksgiving, love. Every one of those could be long teachings, right? We could learn from. You jump to Galatians, but the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, right? Gentleness, self-control. When you look at that list, each of those words in our Christian walk are big words. It can be a little bit intimidating when you think this is who we're supposed to be. These verses are to us. He's saying these things. And by the way, live in peace and be thankful. Because if the others weren't enough, live in peace. Easy peasy and be thankful, right? Well, when you become a Christian, we would say that we get saved, right? We, we know that as, as we get saved in a spiritual sense, there's a, there's a significant change in us spiritually. Uh, the sin that we had is no more. It's not covered. It's gone. The blood of Jesus washed it away. It's done. We're his child, right? Everybody understands that, right? There's a spiritual thing that happens. Well, in the natural, it's the beginning of a relationship with him. And I like that word relationship because it is a relationship. And just like your marriage or your, or if you're young and you're dating or if you have work relationships, those have to, they don't develop on their own. I'll use neighbors as an example. If I went around, there's a whole bunch of people who probably live next door to people for years and years and years and don't even know their names. You've never cultivated that relationship. I'm not here to condemn you for that. I'm just saying that's a relationship. You probably, some of you have. That's great. But if you're going to cultivate that relationship, it's a journey that you're going on when you get saved, that you begin as a Christian. Amen? The scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, this is also NIV, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, right? The new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. And in KJV, I think it says, um, old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Well, the reality of the second part of that scripture is there you are a new creation in him. Spiritually, there has been a change. And I'm, and I'm going to go so far as to say, for me, I felt differently after I got saved. I knew there was a change inside of me spiritually, and you should, and you should begin to see some things, a desire to be more Christ-like. I actually got saved because of the example of someone else. I was raised in church, went all the way through, but I was a teenager at youth camp, and there was a youth counselor there that was just... I don't know how to explain it, but it was like Christ lived out to me. That's how I was seeing it. I was ready to see it. And I thought, I want to be that person. Not the person of himself, but who he is because of Christ. Because it was very clear why he was the way that he was. And that drew me to the Lord. It changed a relationship. I got saved and I was different. I had a full understanding of many things, but I wanted to be Christ-like. Amen? Amen. And you think, oh, he was 13. Well, there's a lot of people that are raised in church that aren't saved today. So it just, you know, the, the timing was right. It's what drew me. That was the time that the Lord drew me in. Well, the, as we work on that second part, it's a relationship. And we're going to talk about the desire in us. I, I identify that as being more like him. 
we're drawn to be more Christ-like in our behavior. Look at the word Christian, and I know we all know what it means, but in the Greek word, Christianos, meaning, and don't, do not get me on my pronunciation of Hebrew, Greek, or anything besides English, and don't even hold that against me. I'm going to do my best, right? So Christianos, meaning follower of Christ, comes from Christos, meaning anointed one, with an ending that's borrowed from Latin to denote adhering to, belonging to, as in ownership. Now, I tried to get past that word ownership because in our society, for me to say that God owns you doesn't go over very well. We have a a natural reaction to ownership, right? We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But think about these two things about ownership. Ownership is defined as the legal right to possess something. So when God gives you, when you gave your, gave your life to him, when you became saved, which, by the way, was your choice. This isn't a dominant relationship. He didn't take you by force. It was willing. We gave ownership of our lives to him and said, do with me what you will, right? But that gave him a legal right to have action and activity in our lives. So ownership doesn't sound so bad when you start looking at it, really. And ownership is accountability. Do you know if I own a property and uh, let's say Alfredo lives in it, if something goes wrong at that house... If he's not mowing the yard, if he's not whatever it is, is the homeowners association or the community going to come to him or are they going to come to me? So ownership is by nature, I'm accountable for that thing that I own. Whether I personally am responsible for what they did or not, you see something here, right? I'm accountable for that because I own it. I'm responsible for it. Now, Alfredo and I are going to have a little chat about it. Right. But there's a there's an accountability that comes with ownership that we should embrace as it relates to the Lord. Right. I want to emphasize again. He did not take ownership of us. We willingly gave it. Right. This is a relationship. God says, get to know me. The salvation part he gave to you in the work of the cross. So many things are accomplished spiritually. Right. That are done. You're saved. You are no longer bound by sin. You are free from the covenant of the law. You're under a new covenant, right? Those things happen. He freely gave that. He's done it all. And then he says, hey, start a relationship with me. He wants to do more. He wants to do a lot more. But you're going to have to get to know him as part of that process. Amen? The level of ownership that he can exercise in our daily lives is almost entirely up to you, to me. To us, he 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 has ownership. He gave his part. He paid the price for for the property that is us. But he says, willingly, you let me. You you tell me what I can do for you. Basically, you tell me how much you're going to let me exercise the rights that you've given me. Isn't that good? But of course, we're changed to a new man. The spirit inside of us desires to be more like him. While we're understanding this relationship of ownership without domination, because that's exactly what that relationship is, it helps us to understand the spiritual principles at play when things are happening around us. See, we have to, I, 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 one thing that I have learned from Mrs. Moore is looking at things spiritually instead of in the natural. 
when things go on. I'll give you an example. I've been in, when I graduated from college, I worked for a few years and I was very, very quickly actually in management. And I learned dealing with people, it's not a whole lot different then and in the business world than it is in my job today. I still deal with people. I love all of you, but you're all people. And we still deal with people day in and day out. But what I've learned is that when conflict comes up, it's rarely the conflict that you need to be looking at. That's the effect. There's a cause. And I can tell you a lot of times, if the conflict is over here, the cause is way back there. But if I can get to that, when I'm in a, same thing with sales, when I would be in a sales presentation with the, with the marketing group and we're all there together, you had to get past the issue isn't this. The issue is way over there. And if I keep focusing on this, if I keep focusing on the natural thing, if I keep focusing on the cause, I might get a temporary reprieve, but it's not going to solve the issue. It's going to come back because the spiritual cause has not been identified and dealt with. Amen. Amen. So, so it's the same way that we do in everything on this earth. There's a spiritual reason that things are happening. People respond spiritually whether they know, know it or not. Spiritual laws are at play all around us, whether you're a Christian or not. They're here, they're active, and you're acting on them. Whether you know it or not, I'm going to explain this a little bit more. I hope hopefully it'll come across really clear. But but the, but in, in all of this. Ownership in the world is a very negative thing. There, the concept, I think, in my mind has become the gap is wider than it's ever been. There's a very much an attitude of rebellion. You don't own me. You don't tell me what to do. You don't, you don't, you don't. Instead of understanding that ownership from a spiritual perspective is a really good thing. It's a really great thing. The virtues that are mentioned in Colossians and Galatians are important because they take us on a journey of becoming more like him. It's part of the process of learning in our lives. We want to grow and learn and become more like him. Why? I need some three-year-olds in here. How many of you have ever been around kids? You give them the answer, why? Because it's this, why? Why? They don't really care about the answer. They're just going to keep asking you why. That, you know, that's where parents came up with because I said so, because that was the end. I'm done. And those things we said we'd never say to our kids, we said to our kids, right? We did. Well, as we pursue him, why do we want to be more like him? Well, as you pursue him, you draw closer to him. And we're giving him rights in our lives. We're saying, I want this relationship. Right? Why do we why did we start developing a relationship? Because I don't know you. I didn't know Rob twenty years ago. I didn't know a lot of you many years ago. Well, I there's a trust that comes over time. God knows that. He designed it. He created it. Well, he wants that relationship with us, but we're gonna have how do you build that relationship? You're gonna have to spend time with them. You're going to have to talk to him. You're going to have to, to actually dig in and believe what he says. We're going to, I'm getting ahead of myself here. But um, So how does this process of being more like him begin? Well, I'm glad you asked because that's what we're going to talk about. It begins focusing on the virtues that are mentioned in the Bible. Let's talk about those again. I'm going to say them. I'm not going to go over the scriptures again, but let's just say them again. Because they're big words. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. 
then the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. We can cross that off because it was mentioned above. One less in the list. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is always a high scorer, that last one. Isn't it? Everybody, everybody in here I know practices self-control. If I had chart, if I had a little card that I handed out and I said, oh, these are the, these are the virtues we're going to talk about. I'm not handing out a card. Don't panic. But I'm, if I had all these virtues listed, I said, I want you to rate yourself one to five. But one being I'm a beginner, five being I've mastered this concept. There would be some people that maybe, I don't know how many are there, two, four, six, eight, 10, 12, 14, whatever it is. There's, if we're honest, and we knew nobody else was going to see it. We would, we, would, we would fall somewhere in the ones and twos on a lot of them. We might have a four here. I'm a big believer that there's probably not an actual five. And I think we're still growing enough that nobody, nobody's probably mastered them. But we're becoming better, getting stronger, right? Should be our confession. But if I did that and we were honest, we would realize this is very daunting. That's why he doesn't say to you, you need everything changes today. You got saved. Everything in your life, I'm judging from today forward in your in all these areas. Okay, let me let me get ready. Compassion, kindness, humility, patience, gentleness, love, joy. Oh, and remember, he threw in there: live in peace with one another and be thankful. But the great news is we don't have to tackle them all at once, right? Has anybody mastered all these things? I'll give you an opportunity now because if you would have put a five on all of them, just slip out the back and go home because I can't help you tonight. <laughs> Nothing that I'm going to say tonight is going to help you in any way. Uh, but we'll pray for you after the service. Um, <laughs> that's why it's a journey. But how do we begin? Well, we focus on these things. Philippians 4, 8. We all know these scriptures. King James Version. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. This is a roadmap to the other things. What you focus on... Where we, I wrote this down, what we think on, focus on, give our attention to is what will be produced in our lives. In order to produce those fruits, we're going to have to focus on some things. We're going to have to look at some stuff. Look honestly at some stuff. Let's just think about sin for a minute. I know nobody in here wants to think about that, of course, but the reason why sin is so appealing to us is because it's, it's satisfying. It's temporarily pleasing. We like it. It feeds our flesh. I know, I know everyone in here has advanced to holiness, but everybody has something in their lives. Whether it's drugs, uh, these are, some of these are going to, oh, those are big things. Well, don't worry, I'm getting there. Drugs, pornography, immorality, drinking, lying, nagging, stealing, cheating. Those are all in the same list because they're all the same thing. They're all sin. But the more we focus on those things the more they're going to grow in our lives. If you have a drinking problem and you're focused on it and you're focused on it, you're going to be drinking more and more. I remember uh, uh, Brother Moore, I think it was Brother Keith that told the story about feeding the cat. If you feed the cat, the cat comes back the next day. The cat does, even if the cat has another home, the cat comes back because you're feeding it. 
And if you have to go six miles out of the way to quit going past the liquor store, you drive six miles out of the day at way every day if you have to. But the point is what you focus on is going to produce fruit in your lives, good or bad. It's going to happen. It's a spiritual principle. It's going to happen. So I got to thinking about this, though, and I was thinking about drugs. And there's, have you ever heard the term gateway drug? There's some drugs that quickly and easily kind of move you to the next one. There's, you know, you start here and the next thing, you know, you, you need a heavier drug and you can handle it. And you kind of have to work up to some of the big ones. I thank God that wasn't something I've dealt with in my life. I've had other things. So have you. But I understand that there are some that are, that are kind of, they call them gateway to the next thing. Well, the same, that's true. Of, the same thing happens in the good things in our lives, right? That's true of virtues, too. As we feed them, they become bigger. They're just like sin. And just like sin will spread, it's an insidious thing. It, what all of a sudden this is affected and that's affected, it's like mold. It just, once it starts, it goes everywhere. Affects everything. Well, the very same thing is true of good things in our lives as we focus on them. They become bigger. They become uh, easier for us to focus on because it's, we've been focusing on it, right? And we begin to see new things. Well, I want to talk about one of those gateway virtues tonight. Of course, the first one that's all-encompassing, Jesus himself told us, the greatest is love. Love is a gateway virtue. If you, if you begin to operate in love, it will change and affect many of these other things that we were just talking about, right? Um, as I was preparing earlier this week for the service, um, I was meditating, and I don't know. I, I have a theory about why I talk to the Lord at night a lot, and I think it has a lot to do with this. I think because I, I listen <laughs> because my mouth isn't running. I'm being honest. Let's be honest, right? But, but oftentimes, I will awaken... Uh, with and, and have something from the Lord. And I remember Brother Moore talking about keeping a pad by your bed. Is this important to you enough that you write it down? Well, I use my phone now. Thank God for our phones. There are, they can be good tools used properly. But I had asked the Lord, of course, I've been praying about what to share. And I woke up. Um, how many of you ever just woke up just well rested, but you are awake? That is not how I normally wake up. I, have, I got a mug this week, and I'll tell you, it says... First, I drink the coffee, then I do the things. That's Tom's morning. I've been around this. I like, I, I like coffee. I enjoy coffee, and I need a cup or two in the morning. The Lord has not told me about it. If he said get rid of it, I'd get rid of it. But he hasn't yet, so don't judge. But my morning starts with a cup of coffee and the dogs, and I like to get up early and have time before I'm rushing around to get out the door. So it's so when the Lord talks to me and I wake up like that, I've learned to recognize that's him because I'm clear. I do not need caffeine. Praise God. I'm ready to hear from him. But he put this phrase in my heart. Thankfulness is a producer in your life. And I know the last time I spoke, I talked about thankfulness, but I just don't think you can be too thankful. I don't think we can spend too much time on being thankful because of how important it is. So that began a conversation with the Lord, as it does. And you ask, you know, I, I didn't, I, it's foreign to me that people don't talk to him because I, I've, talked to, I've talked to God since I was a little kid. Now, see, and I just told you, I wouldn't say until I was 13. But I was around the things of God. I was open to the things of God. And I talked to him and he talked to me. So he must talk to non-believers. Right? 
I talked to him as a little kid and he answered me. And I don't mean I heard voices, but distinctly inside of me, the Lord gave me answers. He helped me with things because my heart was towards him, even if I didn't know more than that at that time, right? Well, he began a conversation about this cause and effect thing. And the Lord will show you things in your life. And I'm going to talk about this a little bit because you, as you grow in him, as you're feeding these things, you begin to look at things differently that have happened to you. And, you know, I think we sometimes don't, we, we hide things that have happened to us. We've, we've been through something. We had something happen to us, whatever it was. Especially in word churches, we kind of don't want to talk about those things. We kind of push them aside. But, you know, God didn't cause them, but he can use them. He can use those things that happened to you to say, it was just like I was praying for wisdom for these people. We, I believe that they can figure out things that keep other buildings from falling. Amen. Things that have happened to us can become testimonies to help another believer from having to go through what you experience. So don't be ashamed of those things. But the Lord will also, at least for me, has taken me back to those things and shown me a different view, a different perspective on things. Shown me, sometimes it's how his hand was moving in the middle of it when I'd never really seen that before. Sometimes you know things, but you haven't really put you know, two and two together yet. Well, I began, he began to show me some stuff. And I know I've told you this story a little bit of it before, but it bears repeating because to me over the last, what are we going on, 15 years, it's changed. And it's changed because my perspective on things has changed. Now, and back in uh, 2006, I took a job that we, we were living in Branson. We were helping at the church. We were not on staff or anything, but we were helping. We were heavily involved. I had, it was my second full-time job. I joke, I was a full-time volunteer, glad to do it. And I got a phone call and got a job offer. And I remember when we talked to um, our leaders about this, I, I said the words, if I was writing the dream job, if I could write my own job description, this is it. And I said no at first. But I entertained it. Anybody else ever done that? You have the right answer at first, but you changed it, <laughs> maybe on a test or in real life. But I changed the answer, and we ended up leaving and moving. Now, there were lots of really good things that came out of it, and there were some pretty bad things, and I'm not going to focus on all that. But, but I am going to tell you that the problem with it was we left where we were being fed, and we're going where we were not going to be fed. Principle number one, God isn't moving you somewhere that you're going to starve to death spiritually. That dream job is not always the dream it looks like. Right? But, but, we didn't leave angry. We didn't leave offended. We talked to them. I mean, you know, we did everything. We were walking in the light that we had. I look back on it, I, I, I didn't know a lot of things. We didn't, I didn't know. I thought I was doing the right things. I thought I was doing things the right way. Well, we went, and I remember when we met with the Moors, and they prayed with us. Mrs. Moore put her finger in our face. You remember this. And she said, if you're not doing more for God there than you are here, then I'm calling you back. And I knew she meant it. <laughs> but in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm going to do more for God. We're going to find a good church. We're going to get hooked in. Didn't happen. We didn't even stay hooked with the Branson church. We weren't watching like we should have. Because what happens is your flesh starts getting fed. 
because you're not where you're supposed to be. You're not focusing on the right things. Well, thank God, some, Mrs. Moore called. I told you all this. But Mrs. Moore called, and I, could, I, could, uh, I was getting ready for the day, and the phone rang, and I looked at it, and of course, I knew immediately who it was, and I didn't answer. <laughs> it's not funny, but it's true. And she left the nicest message, hey, Tom, it's, you know, and she, we had been in touch. It wasn't like, you know, we didn't leave on bad terms. We were, we'd been to visit, we'd been, you know, things were good, but I knew what she wanted this time. That was the difference. And she said, call me, it was a Saturday morning, and she said, call me tomorrow or Monday or Tuesday, whenever works, it's not a big deal. Well, I didn't call her till Tuesday. And if she had, the truth be told, if she had said next month, I would have waited till the next month. But I called her and, you know, it was one of these good conversations. What, you, what are you doing? And she's so gracious and kind. I'm so thankful that, but, but the Lord led her at that moment to call, I will tell you. And so we, we began a conversation about, I was under a contract that went on for another, I guess, part of a year anyway. And uh, I, I, you know, I was, well, when, when this contract is up, we're coming, we're going back. We had talked about it. Amy wasn't happy about it either. She was in as much rebellion as I was at this moment. <laughs> I'm not telling anything on her because it's true. We did not, you know, in the, our flesh did not want to come back because we knew what it meant. It was a commitment that was different than what we had before. And that was a lot. And it was good, but it was a lot. And I and we had the conversation and I told him, Mrs. Moore, I just think I don't want to come back and work outside. I think it's time if we're coming back for ministry, we need to be doing ministry. And um, so we had already made this choice. Well, as soon as we made that choice, guess what the enemy does? He attacked. And he attacked big time. And... He attacked in such a way that, that it, was, it was personal and it was direct and it almost took me out. And I don't mean just financially, uh, spiritually. I mean I was ready to go. Did I not? Amy has told me since that it's the, the only time in our whole marriage that I scared her because I completely shut down. Everything shut down. There were things going on at work that were wrong and it was absolutely an attack of the enemy. But, but was I ready for that? No. Because spiritually, I hadn't been fed for a year and a half. But you know what I began to see as I'm looking at this, and what I want you to see is that in my ignorance, and it was ignorance, which is absolutely an uneducated decision, I didn't know what I was doing, but God already had a safety net in place. Back when we made a decision to leave in 2006, I look back now and I see things that God was doing already because I knew he was standing there. He knew our heart was towards him. And he knew we would come home. So he was already making a way to come home. So some things were going on. And finally, I'm like, you know, I've already had this conversation with Mrs. Moore. I'm leaving here in six months. What am I doing? So I called Mrs. Moore. I'm like, hey, this is going on. I don't, I don't think, I don't know that I didn't, I can just tell you, I don't think I said it to her in this way, but I didn't have it in me to fight the battle. It was, it was personal and it was an attack. And, um, and she, you know what she said? She said, hey, I'm sitting here with Brother Moore. He says, come on. And I literally said, bye. And walked away out of the contract, out of everything. The Lord, you know, the Lord took what the devil meant. It actually backfired on him because I got out of the contract. Everything was done. Um, but, but my point in all that is, and we came home. 
And I thank God that we had enough sense to get in the car and go back to our place, to go back to the people that loved us, to go back to the people that were our spiritual leaders and our parents and feeding us, and to go back to our place, because there's wisdom in that, that I didn't even know I had at the time. But I had that, but the door was open. And I look back on this relationship, and, and five years ago, I couldn't, have th- I, couldn't have, I couldn't talk about it because it was that much of a hurt to me. It was that painful of a wound that God has, has been working on. And now I look at it, and I am thankful. I'm thankful because what I see now is he had his hands under there the whole time. In my weakness, he was strong. And he had already made a way back because of cause and effect. Did, did it turn out badly? No. That answer might surprise you, but it didn't because I'm not sure how, I mean, it led us back to him. So I can't say it ended badly. I can say it probably shouldn't have happened on many levels, but it didn't end badly because here we are. And I look back on that and I think what the devil meant. And when I say take, I didn't, I didn't attempt to take my life or anything like that, but I was ready to go. I was done. This, I mean, and it don't make it worse than it was. I, I hadn't done anything. There was nothing. It was absolutely a, a false thing. But these were people that had been in my life. I had, even though it was just a short job, they had been my friends and my mentors for 20 years. These are your best friends. And I, and I couldn't get past for many years the knife in the back. That's what hurt. But I, I mean, I, I'm not kidding. I couldn't have talked about it. It was so painful. But now I look at it. You know what? And even as late as Sunday, when Mrs. Moore was standing up here talking, I thought there's forgiveness that still needs to happen there. Right. Fifteen years later. And I didn't take it. It wasn't bad. And it was so easy because I wasn't thinking about it anymore. But the Lord, and you know what I know? Having corrected that and made peace in as much as I'm capable to, there's something that's going to happen. Because there's a spiritual principle at work when you make those decisions and you make those choices and you forgive what needs to be forgiven and you do the things that need to be done. It opens the door. It opens his rights of ownership in our lives. So I'm looking forward to something changing because something's going to happen. I opened the door by listening to the word. And you're thinking, what does any of that have to do with Thanksgiving? Well, we're, well, I haven't gotten off. I know what I'm doing here. The Lord's helping us. As I've looked back over it, my point is I'm thankful. Did he cause it? No. But did he help me through it? Yes. And he grew me through it, most importantly. And actually, as I look back on it, it was like hyper growth. Because I had to, to get out of it. It was a sink or swim emotionally and physically and spiritually for me. I had to, it it took God going, okay, learn this, let's go, and just pick you up and pluck you into Faith Life Church Branson. Not only, it was, it was a product, I think when we went to the gate, I do remember, we drove, we left immediately. I let them know, I didn't even quit actually. I told them, I'm leaving town, I'll be back when I'm back. The situation was ongoing. We drove straight through to Missouri. We pulled up to the gate and I called Mrs. Moore and she answered and I said, the prodigal has returned. (laughs) And it was just like that story. They didn't ask questions. They loved us. They brought us right back. They brought us both on staff. And I think about what I would have missed if I had given up. I, I, I have 
a wonderful wife. I have two wonderful boys. I have new, new uh, daughters-in-law who I think are wonderful. I have a new grandson, which all of you are aware of. I didn't put pictures up tonight. You can be thankful. I also have been able to be a part of Faith Life Church in Branson and to be able to be a part of the people there. And we have friends everywhere, all over the world, that show up for meetings. And we get to be a part of the hospitality team. And we get to be here. And I get to do this and I get to talk to you. That's something to be thankful for. That's something to thank God for. Because I know where I was. And I know where he brought me to. But the lesson that came out of that in Thanksgiving for me is if you get the spiritual things in order, the natural things will fall into place. And what we are doing, there's answers there for somebody because what we're doing and what we're trained to do in the world is to work on the problem, work on the natural thing. But but this is happening today. But... That's not what we need to be. We need to be looking at the spiritual issue. And one of the things, I said this early on in dealing with Mrs. Moore. Um, I don't think she'd mind me saying this because she loves me. She, she does. She loves me. And I, and I, but I've learned with her. I used to sit and years ago and she would, you'd be dealing with something. And she would say something back to you. And I would be like, did you hear what I said? I didn't say that. I'm not stupid. I mean, I respect her greatly, but in my head, I'm like, I'm smart smart enough with wisdom not to say that. No, but you know what I mean? Did did you hear me? Did you, this is the problem. This is what we're working on. And she'd come up with something and I'd think that has nothing to do with the problem, but I wasn't looking at it right because I'm looking at the problem and she's looking at the spiritual cause. She's saying, "Mm, that's what you think it is, but that's what it is. If we deal with that. This, we don't even have to think about it anymore. And she's right, but she's not alone and she's not unique in that ability. We're supposed to be like that. We are supposed to be spiritual beings thinking in it with a spiritual nature. Instead of focusing on the natural, we need to ask ourselves, God, what's the spiritual problem? Now, the end of that story is we came home, but we had a beautiful home. We were living in a tiny cabin with two boys in school in Branson, Missouri, where we were supposed to be, and we knew that. We had a beautiful home in Indiana. Well, does anybody remember what happened in 2008? I had a big house that wasn't worth what we paid for it. You know, did the... Right, in the natural. In the natural. So we went a year, went into the next year. Big house payment. Big things happening, draining this down, everything, everything, everything. And I, and I knew it wasn't God's will. I knew I'd made a mistake, but I'd repented. God is not out to destroy you for something that you did. He's a restoring God. Amen. So I finally, finally, I did the, okay, God, there's something here that I'm not doing. Because this isn't your will. This is not who you are. This is not how I'm, we're supposed to be living. I know this is not supposed to ruin us. And we were at that point. It was the end. You know, the house was going. It was going to happen if, if something didn't change real quickly. And I asked the Lord and he said something to me that was not unlike a Phyllis Moore thing. That literally you go, you, was that you? Because that, that made no sense to me at all. What does that have to do 
with getting this house sold. I'm thinking, you know, it's got to be a financial thing. We're not giving enough here. We're not doing this. What is it? Where do we give? You know, I was at that point. I'd have given everything else to whatever it took. You know, that's where we were. And he told me that I, uh, that I had repented to him, but I, that wasn't all I needed to do. I needed to make it right with this person. And I did. And it wasn't two days we had a contract on the house for more money than we paid for it. We made money in the middle of a housing recession and it went sailing through. We closed right away, made money, recouped money. That isn't something I could do. But it wasn't a coincidence that this thing that had nothing to do with selling a house needed to be fixed. It was just like I was talking about with forgiveness. Sometimes those floodgates are closed. His ownership is blocked. You're not giving him what he needs to work with because we're not listening to him. We're not becoming more like him. We're not spending time with him. That's what we were talking about is how we develop him, right? Thankfulness is a producer in your life. Did that make any sense to me when I first heard it? No. I mean, I knew he was talking to me, so I've come to think, okay, Lord, that's important. (laughs) Write it down and write it down just like he said it. Don't try and correct it. He doesn't speak proper English. He speaks how he speaks and he gets to. He's like the queen. Whatever she says, it's done. Only multiply that times 10,000. Nobody goes, ma'am, that's not how you say that, (laughs) right? I don't say that to him. I write it down the way he told me because there's a reason for it. There's a reason for the way that's going to speak to me. Thankfulness is a producer in your life. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to tell you most of the time in my life, it hasn't made, the right answers have not made sense. And it made me think about Naaman. Do we have time to read? Yeah, we have time to read the story. Let's look at real quick at 2 Kings chapter 5. Let's do NIV. And I mean this, now this story would, you could teach this story for days on end. 2 Kings chapter 5, just start at the beginning. Now Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria. Does that sound like there's an answer in his household before he knows there's an answer in his household? And the other thing that's interesting about this too, well, let's go to the next verse. He would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him uh, what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram said. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. That sounds like a lot of stuff. But you know what's interesting, what stood out to me about this is, um, if you know anything about leprosy, you were an outcast if you had leprosy. It was not curable. They didn't, you, were, you were eliminated from culture and society. This man had to have been a very important man. Because he still had access to the king. Now, I don't know whether he personally went to the king, but he said he sent word, right, to his master, to the king. This man still had influence even though he had leprosy. That's, that's a position right there. But anyway, so he took, he took these things. Go on to the next verse. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. 
And as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? The king didn't have the right response either. (laughs) Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me? He thinks he's just picking on him. What can I do? I'm not God. Go to the next verse. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to tell me that he have, have the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Now, he's got to his answer, right? In spite of himself and in spite of everybody else, he's gotten to his answer. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, a messenger. He didn't show up in person. Oh, I could talk about that real quick. (laughs) Guys, the man of God isn't always going to come and stand in your face and tell you what to do. He's going to stand in the pulpit. He's going to use his messengers to get the word to you. Receive the word however it comes. Don't get so hung up on the source. Especially when the source isn't hung up on themselves. Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. And Naaman said, yay, I have my answer, right? No. Naaman went away angry I thought surely he would come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God. Wave his hand over the spot. In other words, he was expecting a show. He was expecting a big show of his healing, right? And cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana, I'm not going to say these right, and Paphar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Now, I don't think it would say a rage if he had, he probably made a scene. He made a big scene. He was mad. You didn't even come to me. You sent these humble people to tell me to go wash in this dirty river when there's beautiful rivers where I come from. Can I not wash in them? And he threw a fit and he ran off. But his servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And when he, and his flesh was restored and he became clean like that of a young boy. Doesn't just say became clean. He was restored. His youth was restored. Right? Keep going. Then he, he and all of his attendants went back to the man of God. And, and he, the, I'll just paraphrase the end of it. He wanted to give him something. And the man of God said, no. That's not how it works. Because he wouldn't have wanted him to say he purchased his healing. Right? It was from the Lord. And then it goes on. And one of his servants did a bad thing. And it ended up he got leprosy. But we won't go into all that. It's a great story. For lots of reasons. He was expecting something. He had, he had in his mind how that healing was going to come. And what God told him was not what he was expecting to hear. The answer he wanted. But was it the answer? Was it still relative? So it doesn't always make sense. That was kind of a little sojourn. But you should study that story out because I think, you know, the fact that that he was a powerful person who still had a tremendous amount of influence in spite of a horrible disease. The mercy of God shows through that story because he, he got angry and he left. And God, God didn't say, well, he just now, now if he dips, it's not going to happen. He went and dipped and it happened. Well, the, the God's word didn't change, right? 
in spite of his... Okay, see, we could totally, completely go off down a little rabbit trail right there. But we better not. We don't have time. Thankfulness is a producer in your life. There was an interesting research study, and I, I just kind of enjoy looking at some of that sometimes, and I know it's not the word, but sometimes it does confirm the word. Science, true science, will back up the word. Because he created it all. And I like it when I see that happening. But there was a study that was done, and I'm not going to go into a lot of it because there's a whole book written on it. But the study, I'm going to summarize it quickly, was based on 35,000 respondents from 60 countries and 50 states, and it was pertaining to Christian character and spiritual growth. There's a lot to it, but the study focused on finding common practices of those who consistently showed the fruits of the Spirit. In in these studies, the greatest commonality and the strongest correlation was between the presence of gratitude, thankfulness, and the largest array of other virtues. Don't freak out if you're not a science person. I'll explain it a little bit better. Like, for example, kindness is a great thing. We all, everybody would say that's a good thing, to be kind, right? But the study did not show that kindness produced peace. Patience was a strong virtue, but it didn't necessarily produce compassion. But when gratitude was present, there were many of the other virtues present also. The summation was, growing one's gratitude has a radical and transformational effect on character. Because gratitude is one of the primary vehicles for inducing other Christian qualities. So you understand the point of this, what, what came out was people that, were, that had gratitude, that, were, that showed thankfulness in their lives, had many virtues. Where some people, that was a correlated effect. There was a tie between thankfulness, great gratitude, and other virtues. These other things coming alive, if you will. It's a gateway virtue. As opposed to some of the others. They're all good. It's not discounting any of them, but it's sane. So if you know that something produces faster, which one do you want to focus on first? The one that's, we want to get, you want to do the one that's going to get you there the fastest, right? So I just thought that was really an interesting, interesting thing. Now let's confirm that with the word. Did Jesus, was Jesus thankful? The answer is yes. I'll give you the answer. The answer is yes. Jesus lived in thankfulness to God. In John uh, chapter 11, verses 41 and 42, he's recounting the story of Lazarus. And I, and I laughed at this too because basically, if you've read the story, everybody's mad at Jesus because he didn't get there fast enough. Essentially, that's Tom's paraphrase. It's not that the scripture never actually says that. But, but it does kind of, they were kind of put out with them. They're like, if you'd have come sooner, Jesus... That's a little bit like saying, do you know what I'm talking about, Mrs. Moore? Don't do it. Honor and respect these people. But that's what they had done. So uh, anyway, so they took away the stone. Jesus looked up. As they're taking away the stone, what did he do? He looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of everyone else standing here, basically, that they may believe that you sent me. But But nonetheless... He's saying, I knew this. I'm thankful for this. I give grat- I'm gratitude because I know you always hear me, God. I like that transition of, I'm, I, I know this, but I'm going to do it for their sake. Because I want them to know that you sent me. 
that I'm from you. Isn't that good? Luke 24:30 says, And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to them. Now, how many times have, did you hear that over and over again? He did it at the Last Supper. He did it when he fed the multitudes. Uh, multitudes. There's more than one, right? More than one story of that. But I, I like that he when, he, when it says he blessed it, I found that interesting because I thought, well, is, is, is that being thankful in that culture? And so I looked it up and I told you already, do not judge me on my Hebrew. But um, the, the little side note that I wanted to share is that the blessing that he's talking about is this. In the Hebrew, the word is bracha. I'm not gonna, probably not going to say that right. Bracha. Bracha. The object of, this, of, is the, of the blessing is God. It is not the food. It is, necessar- it is unnecessary, in th- th- what this refers to is that it's unnecessary to say, as we as Christians do, Lord, bless this food to our bodies, because the food is already God's that he's already blessed us with, the fact that it's on our table. That's spiritual thinking. Yeah, that's good. There's a spiritual thought to that in, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for, to you, because this is already yours. It's already blessed because you gave it to me. Isn't that good? I'm not saying quit blessing your food. Don't make a doctrine out of it. But because, you know, because especially if you're in a restaurant, somebody else has had their hands on that food. So bless it. But he said, but it's unnecessary. And that that word means it's unnecessary to do that because it was already God's. Rather, it is being thankful to the provider. Isn't that, that's a spiritual, that's a sign of spiritual growth. We tend to think about being a blessing things and being thankful for things in the natural. And I'm so thankful that my bills are paid. I'm thankful for all the good things that he provides. We are believing, word believing, prosperity believing, preaching people. We've seen it work. Where How many of you will say, too late to convince me otherwise, right? But it's not about the material things that he's done for us. Those are all going to go away. You're not taking any of it with you. Those are things to help us here in the natural on this earth. When we're thankful, it has to elevate itself to being thankful to the provider of those things just because he is the provider. We are thankful for those things. Amen. But you're recognizing that that provision came from him, period. It's good because it came from God. Amen. Psalms also, it's full of thankfulness. I'm not going to go through all of them, but there's thankfulness to God for his many blessings um, that should be in all of our prayers. Philippians tells us uh, that in all of our praises. In Psalms, it comes up in all of our conversations. In Ephesians, it says, and in all of our thoughts about others. Philippians, Thessalonians, in all of our life circumstances. This leaves a lot of room for us to grow in gratitude. Am I alone? There's a lot of room to grow in gratitude. So how do we change it? How do we change over to this lifestyle and begin developing this, this true gratitude lifestyle? Well, the first thing we have to do is you have to realize that this is real. This is a real relationship that you're cultivating with a real God who has real things for you. And we have to start believing it. Not just believing it, but believing it. It has to get in here. and It has to become a part of who you are. This is real. We as Christians are meant to walk in this life. It's not, a, it's not an idea. It's not a theological idea that someone came up with. Wouldn't this be nice? It's real. We're supposed to live this way. 
We are supposed to be walking in this spiritual sense in this world, in this world, not of it. That can only happen if we develop these things spiritually, right? So the first step is you have to really believe it. You've got to believe that God is real and that he loves you and that he has these blessings for you. Amen. It's attainable. You can do it. It's not something that God has ordained a few people to stand in pulpits and have. He is no respecter of persons. You have to really believe that. You have to watch your words. Second, true thankfulness should include being thankful to God for who he is, appreciating him for his character as as a teacher, as your friend. How many of you have a friend in your life that you appreciate? He's greater than they are by, by multitudes. I have some great friends God has blessed me with in my life. I'm so thankful for every one of them, but none of them are, are to me what God is. None of them ever could be. They could be the best, best, best friend on, on earth. Doesn't even, it pales in comparison to who he is. And I'm so thankful for that. Are you thankful? And you have to evaluate yourself honestly. Am I a thankful person or am I a complainer? Both are contagious. Being thankful is contagious. If you're thankful for things, and I don't mean, you guys, it's goofy to run around, I'm so thankful for that, I'm so thankful for that, I'm so thankful for that, I'm so thankful, aren't you thankful for that pen? Aren't you thankful for this? Aren't you? I'm talking about true gratitude for things. I'm talking about using the words thank you so that they mean something to somebody. I was in Publix not too long ago, and I just said thank you to the little checker lady, and obviously she had a bad day. Can we say checker lady anymore? I don't know. Checker person. She was a lady. I'm going to say she was a checker lady. But I, but I was talking to her. And, you know, you just kind of had this conversation. I said, well, just thank you for all that you, you know, for, for doing that. I appreciate that. And, she's, and she had this look on her face. And I thought, how sad. But those words meant something to her because they were sincere. It should mean something when I say thank you to Mike, when I say thank you to Rob. It should mean something. It's not something to just throw around like a look and see how blessed I am. That's a show. That's saying, that's pretending to be something. There's a lot of pretend in this when it's constant. I'm talking about true gratitude. It produces a change in your heart. And it goes back to what I was talking about earlier, that spiritual change. I begin to see things differently. And when I do that, you know, when someone reacts in the flesh, you can completely react in the spirit because the personal and the emotion is all removed from it. Because you think they're not mad at me. Genuinely, I remember thinking the first time many, many years ago when Brother Moore said that about they didn't. When he's talking about somebody hitting him and then you can actually come to a place of going, they didn't mean to do that. I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure that if they hit you, they meant to do it, you know, in your natural sense. But, but, but what he's talking about is a spiritual concept. We're interpreting it in a natural way, but what he's talking about is it wasn't about me. Whatever that anger is, it's not about Tom Hunter. I might have been the target of it, but it has nothing to do with me. And you, be, and you can work on and move in compassion and love for people when you quit looking at the natural and you start looking at it through spiritual eyes. Amen? Amen. I told you there were lots of things we could get hung up on. But, but it, if we want to be more like him, we need to look to him. And I know you think you do, but, but challenge yourself. When do you talk to God about a problem? When, when, when you've reached a point that you can't 
do anything about it yourself or as soon as it comes up. I can tell you I'm learning. I haven't mastered any of this stuff, you guys. I've got a lot of long ways to go, but he's showing me stuff. Amen? But I'm learning. As soon as the problem comes up, I'm like, Lord, you have the answer. Show us the answer. Instead of trying to get it done in my natural sense and finally getting to an answer, you can start out with an answer. If I could have heard him in 2006, if I had the grasp of this concept, I didn't have to go down that road. But I have to hear. I have to be open. I should have been looking through spiritual eyes instead of feeding my flesh with a job that I thought I wanted. You know, be careful what you wish for because sometimes you'll get it and it isn't what you think it's going to be. So, but anyway, uh, but get in, you've got to look to him. Ask and listen. He has wonderful insight into our lives. He's not hiding stuff from us, guys. I, it, there's so many things. Sometimes I just want to go, he's not hiding it from you. He wants you to have your answers. He desires that we get our answers. He doesn't desire that we struggle. This Back to point number one. This is for real. God cares about you and you and you and you and every single person in here the same way. It's a real thing. We're supposed to walk in these fruits because it will produce in us a close relationship with him that will draw others to him. Who wants to come to church next to a sourpuss? Who who is going to come to church with you from work if all you do all day, every day is talk bad about the boss? They do that. And they have their Fridays and Sundays free and clear to do whatever they want to do. I'm not condemning. I'm just saying we have to got to realize this is real. And if we'll live it out, if you'll step into the realness of it and start experiencing that, these churches will be filled. We'll have to go to two services to socially distance. That was a joke. <laughs> but you understand, people, they want to, we have to draw them in. We're part of that. We're supposed to be for real living out the goodness of God. If you're in the same place that you've been for nine years since the doors opened, you need to get down before the Lord and ask him, have that moment. God, this isn't how I'm supposed to be living. I know this. This is counter to your word. Show me what needs to be done because I guarantee you it's not hard. But you're going to have to be ready to receive it. When he says, go fix this relationship with this person. Pick up the phone and tell them how much you appreciate them. You haven't done that long enough. You haven't done that in a long time. When he tells you, you have to do it. Naaman didn't get it initially, but he finally got it and he did it. And it was his answer. It didn't look like the answer. It didn't smell like the answer. It didn't taste like the answer. It didn't feel like the answer. But it was the answer. And it really is that simple most of the time. So quit focusing on the natural and spend some time with him. Ask him. Get in the word. And you're going to become who you're spending time with. Back to this relationship thing that we talked about earlier. You can be in the relationship with the wrong person. It doesn't make them a bad person, but they're not helping you to grow spiritually. 
You need to be around people that encourage you and you need to have strong enough people in your lives to say, quit saying that. Amen? And you know what most of us do when someone says, quit saying that? You're judging. You're judging me. (laughs) And you walk away from the person who's trying to help you. It's not judgment. It's help. I will stand here and tell you, quit doing that. I did it for a long time. That's not judgment. That's saying, this experience that I had, you don't want to do this. You don't want to get off this path. I believe God redeems our time. I believe he's redeemed our time in our, in, our, in our ministry time tremendously. Two years is nothing. It could have been ten. Thank God it wasn't. But you have to do what he tells you to do. You have to be willing to hear. You have to appreciate that person that comes up and says, I love you enough to tell you that you've got to stop this. You're headed down the bad road. This is hurting you. And I love you too much to let you be hurt. And you can't, but you can get to that place. And you can say, thank you. And you might not mean it initially, but when you go home and you say, okay, Lord, show me, is this true? And and when he says, yeah, it's true. You say, thank you for using them to come and talk to me. I thank God for our pastors that every, every time when they get up here and they say something, I've learned to go, thank you for that because I needed it. Because as much as I didn't, it didn't feel good and it, as I said, didn't taste, look, feel, smell, sound like my answer. It was my answer. And I'm getting answers faster than I used to. Amen. Amen. I don't have to get beat up and cast out anymore. Somebody, somebody, God doesn't have to actually go, boy. He shouldn't have to. Now, he loves me enough that there have been times that I feel like that's what's happened. But he's also sent people into my life, like our pastors, who tell us the truth. And instead of getting offended, just turn that little button off really fast. Mm, That didn't feel good. And think about it a little bit. And go home and say, Lord, what did they mean? How did that apply to me? Because something triggered in me. I had an emotional response to that that I shouldn't have had. So what is it? And he'll show you. He's faithful. I just stood here and folded my notes into a little tiny box. So <laughs> what happens when you get excited. Amen. I only have one more thing that I want to share. And I think that um, I used to get really offended when people would say to me, um, I see I just admitted it. I got offended. Um, it's happened more than once. Uh, I will tell you that, but it happens less and less. I, uh, when people would say to me, you know, I like you because you're real, because I thought that was bad. I thought that was bad. But I've come to understand, you know what? I'm, I am who I am. I'm on the journey that I'm on. I'm not proud of everything that I've done. I'm not, and, and that would be the right word. Um, I'm not pleased with everything that I've done. But I'm not going to try and be something that I'm not, because that's pretending. Even in Christianity, and there's a lot of pretending. And I haven't arrived. I have lots of questions. Every time I sit down with Mrs. Moore about anything, I learn something. Because, because I value that spiritual leadership that they've had. They've had a lot of years around a lot of really wonderful people and a good word. And they're like sponges, literally. And so, but I want to learn. I want to grow. And together... I, I, can, I believe being real with people is going to get me further than being something that I'm not. So don't, I don't want to put on a front. 
And so there's days when, you know, my thankfulness measure is probably a minus two. But that's when you have to be honest and authentic with yourself and go home and say, Lord, I kind of messed up today. I shared a little bit of this with you guys, and I'm going to close with this. So I'm not going to read the whole thing, but, but it's, I told you, I, I journal. I actually do it on my computer, but I write things down. It helps me to process, actually. Um, always did. And I don't, it's not an everyday thing, so I'm, I don't want something it's not. But when something comes up in my heart, I'll sit down and kind of start exploring it a little bit. And it's amazing what the Lord will share with you that you'll go back and reflect on. It gives you some insight. But this was at a particularly challenging <laughs> time of life and I hadn't been really walking in any form of the fruit of the spirit and hadn't been acting nice and had been, you know, there was just a lot going on. I could make excuses, but the bottom line is I was being fleshy. But I wrote down at the end of the day, tomorrow I'm going to make better choices. Today I choose the grace, the mercy, and the tender correction of Jesus I choose to accept that he loves me. I choose to follow the gentle nudging back to the path and and the healing fellowship with my father. I choose to be thankful for the loving arms of my savior who says tenderly, come rest. I can fix this. I love you. And so I will rest and together we will set out to make things right. When you can be in, that's a relationship. And I'm so thankful that I have the Lord in my life. I'm so thankful that I talk to him and that he answers me and that he gives me wisdom daily and that he's helping me to have the right responses. And he's showing me how to be thankful in the little things because I want that ownership to be so tight and so complete that when God says, I want to do that for you, he can move immediately. He's not waiting for me to move a roadblock. So I'm going to be more thankful. Are you good? Is that good? All right, stand up. Not too bad. Not too bad. Yay. I know.